1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Podside. Um, I'm joined by a number of people today. I'm joined by my new dog, uh, Chewy, who is literally chewing on my foot right now, but we're going to ignore that. Um, <laughs> as as per tradition, I'm here with Carlo. How are you doing, Carlo?
2: Hey, I'm doing all right.
1: And I am very excited to have AC Wise with us, uh, a prolific author who's written a number of short stories that... Uh, Tend towards the horror realm, but um, have elements of the fat, fantastic woven through. How are you, AC or Allison?
0: I am very well, and thank you both so much for having me. And congratulations on New Dog. Oh, <laughs> that thank is you. Exciting. Yes,
1: <laughs> I, they brought me to the wrong room. I think I actually got a Kodiak bear. I mean, he's... <laughs> I
2: thought I thought you were going to start in with like a Rodney, an old Rodney Dangerfield bit, you know. <laughs> My dog's favorite bone is in my foot. Hmm.
1: <laughs> That's, well, there, there's definitely truth to that. Like, if there were any malice in him, he'd be deadly. But he's just <laughs> he, he's a harmless goof that breaks anything within five feet of him.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, did you did you adopt Clifford?
1: Is that I, is that what happened? Well, he is. Um, he's about 100 pounds. So, yeah. Ah. <laughs> Yikes.
0: Is he a That's puppy a or guy. is he an older dog? Um, he's about
1: two years old, so he's a he's a terrible teen.
0: Yeah, still on the young side.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He's 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 having he he can't really distinguish well between food and anything else, but beyond that, he's good natured.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Carlo and I were just talking about our respective dogs before you joined us. So,
1: <laughs> oh, oh, may I ask what kind you have?
0: I have two corgis. I have the older one in the room with me. He's hopefully the quiet one, so he sh- shouldn't be interrupting us and then uh the younger corgi is outside in the yard.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, we uh we've got a great sound editor. So, I mean, if if there is if there is barking or even screaming, we'll figure it out, so.
0: <laughs> right now there's there's corgi snoring, so. <laughs> there
2: we go. Awesome. All right. So, um so in this case, uh we just wanted to bring you on, Allison, to uh oh and uh just so you know, and I don't know uh if you knew this Pete, but um usually I I explain what what connection you know I and the guest have uh if I know them and um and I'll have you know Pete, Allison was my first editor.
0: Oh that wow. Very true. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yep Very good. And before
0: we ever met in person too i think
2: <laughs> yes yes uh do you, it, would would you would you mind me telling the story of how that happened? yeah, go for it <laughs> all right, so um I forget was this in two thousand and fifteen you had the first uh call for the now sadly defunct uh unlikely stories uh anthology
0: yeah two thousand and fifteen uh, sounds right,
2: <laughs> yeah, I believe so, but I might be off. It might, might have been 2014 and it published in 2015. Anyway, this is the story being that you know publishing has a long – there's a long tail <laughs> um, <laughs> between acceptance and, and actual publishing. But anyway, uh, I digress. So you guys had uh, with uh, Bernie Mojis, uh, the other co-editor of Unlikely Stories, a call for um, colrophobia. Am I saying that right?
0: That sounds right. It's one yeah. of those words that, like, after we chose the theme, I'm like, I don't actually know how to pronounce this out loud. <laughs> I've only ever seen it written.
2: <laughs> well, you know, don't feel bad. I do have a, an anecdote that, that happened in a previous episode about Shillelagh, which um, is rather funny. <laughs> uh, only ever read it. So you can imagine how he pronounced it. Oh, yeah. Um
1: for most of my life I thought rendezvous and rendivus were two separate words.
2: I will I'll tell you one thing, Pete. I, I had a um a writing group person, like a buddy in the writing group that drove me crazy by calling the ending the ending downslope of a story the dainament. <laughs> well
0: that's not right at all. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes. I mean it's 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 what happens after dinner, you get the Danement.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, not exactly subtle. <laughs> yes. I see what
2: you did there. So, uh anyway, the the point is getting back to the story about the the scary clowns. Um so uh, you guys were asking for a an open call for clown stories. All kinds. Uh, probably creepy. And um the the first time around I I submitted and uh this is one of these weird stories where I know exactly, I can pinpoint exactly what happened. And I can go, oh, I was working um at this call center and my coworker that you know was in the the next desk over, told turns around and tells me, Oh, I got a car that is a funny, you know, like a funny color or an unexpected color. I was like, Did you buy a clown car? And that smashed together with the call uh, details, which was to do a clown story. And I was like, what would happen if you bought a used clown car? <laughs> and uh, it, it's funny because initially you guys um, didn't accept it for the first call, but then had the anthology come out. And I queried you and asked, would you reconsider? And thankfully you said, Yes, and that's that. Uh, I was able to get you know uh, get some guidance on what I needed to get done, and uh, resubmitted, and got my first pro publishing credit from the Clowns: The Unlikely Colorophobia Remix anthology.
0: Yeah, and actually, I mean, your story was one of the reasons. I mean, we just got so many, so many more things that came so close to making the initial issue with. You know, we hadn't planned on actually doing an anthology. We had just planned on doing that sort of one off mini issue. I think it was all flash fiction, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we had, you know, your story and, and a bunch of others that just, you know, were so close and we'd gotten so much good stuff that we thought, well, you know, maybe we could try doing an anthology. Maybe we could expand it a little bit and go back to some of those ones that were so very close.
2: Right. Right. So, anyway, happy story uh, regarding that. <laughs>
0: So that... clowns would be, you know, uh, the force that brings people together when they're so very, very terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did
1: that make either of you more scared of clowns? Because I can visualize that.
0: <laughs> I, I think, you know, just as or possibly more. Yeah. <laughs>
1: OK, that's fair. <laughs> Um, so are, are we jumping around, Carlo? Because I have some weird questions, you know. No,
2: go go ahead. Fe- feel free. Uh, okay. Floor is yours, Pete.
1: Okay. Well, a weird question number one is, um, I well, I, I read a number of your stories recently, and one of them was Teeth Long and Sharp as Blades. And it is a story, without spoiling anything, that has a relationship to Little Red Riding Hood. Yes. And... <laughs> My question for you is, have you ever watched the movie Jin Ro? Because I watched it uh, and... turned off the TV and then turned around and read this and it was chilling because they both use Red Riding Hood as the framing device and I've I mean it was just it's just synchronicity of course like uh, nothing's trying to communicate with me but it freaked me out
0: <laughs> that is interesting I've actually never watched that never seen it but it sounds like something that I should watch
1: <laughs> and they use like the old little Red Riding Hood story the one where they're you know the the there's cannibalism like very Brothers grim stuff
0: all the fairy tales before they got cleaned up
1: oh yeah like what happened there Uh, um i guess i know what happened (laughs) disney and madison avenue yes yes and then they invented their own myths that's one of the things that drives me nuts like johnny appleseed is basically a hallmark production (laughs)
0: gotta sell the you know the legend of american greatness somehow right
2: (laughs) well yeah that's the thing i i find that it's really weird like paul bunyan i didn't know that paul bunyan which i loved as a kid is was completely like a pr campaign and you're like what really yeah
0: (laughs) i feel like to a certain degree like all fairy tales and myths have always been sort of pr for you know one thing or another. It's all kind of like, let's tell you this story, but we're gonna, you know, hide a message in it, or sometimes not even hide it. We're gonna whack you over the head with a message.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I do, I do think that that, uh, and and we were, we we talked recently uh, about like the staying power and the longevity, and the general robustness of fairy tales is, in fact, that sort of didactic uh, approach where it is telling you sort of rules about how to live in a society. Problems may be that that society was 200 years ago or 6,000 years ago or whenever, right? So
1: or may it not- it was written by your social enemy. Like that can often happen. It's like often also, the messages yeah. get in line.
2: Yeah, well, there's definitely that.
0: Yeah, Boy, absolutely. I'm sure. <laughs> Another thing I kind of <laughs> like about fairy tales, like some of the, you know, the original ones are so short and there are so many gaps and, you know, what they put in and what they leave out that it does actually make for, you know, such rich material for reinterpretation, which I think is also part of the staying power. Like, you know, so many authors have done amazing things, kind of filling in the gaps or telling the other side of the story of, you know, what if it wasn't, you know, Put out there by your your enemy or somebody with this point of view, but what if it was told from this point of view? And I think that is part of the reason why they've been around so long and why they're so interesting to reinterpret and reimagine.
1: Do you think the oral tradition helped that? Because I think a lot of these weren't written down at first.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess, you know, reimagining is kind of baked into the form when you think about it, since, as you say, they came from that retelling and embellishing and changing and putting your own spin on it as if when you were the teller
2: <laughs> right so and and i guess that's one thing that i did want to ask you uh, especially about um shoot i blanked on the on the title uh the teeth long and sharp as knives um it's written in second person, and, and I don't know about you, but generally speaking, when I use second person, it's to either invite or implicate the reader in some way into the story. And speaking about like how there are gaps in fairy tales, and the retelling is filling in those gaps, it's inviting the storyteller to fill in those gaps in some way, um, is there like you use the second person to sort of invite the reader into the story, into that particular story, but there's also a certain meta level to it. There's like a meta commentary that you're doing there, and I wanted to ask you, like, because this isn't—I've—I've I've read uh, a number of your your works where you use sort of the metatextual knowledge that you expect a reader to come with, sort of either to leverage a certain point in the story. Is, is that something that you are super interested in doing? Are you doing that on purpose or is it just simply as the story calls for it?
0: I mean, a little bit of both. I think to a certain degree, that's kind of the type of thing that I like to read frequently. So, or you know, consume media in general, the type of thing I like to watch, you know, movies that kind of interrogate the form as they tell a story or stories that interrogate the form as they tell a story. So it's really just, you know, a lot of it is kind of trying to do things that I would want to read or see. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is sometimes accidental or unintentional. And then I'll go back and be like, Oh, yeah, okay, that does actually work. You know, just sort of trying things as I go along and seeing what Sticks or what doesn't stick
2: <laughs> right did you or uh, let me ask you this then, are there any um like let's say shows, movies, any works that you you picked them up or started watching because you were expecting that experience, and they somehow didn't they didn't la- stick the landing for you or, or anything like that?
0: Um, not necessarily why I started watching it, um, but I think an interesting example might be, and now I can't remember the exact order, but basically the Roanoke season of American Horror Story, mm-hmm. where it kind of tried to do that commentary. And I appreciated that they were doing something interesting. Like they sort of started with the whole, like unsolved mystery, real horror thing where they were doing a recreation of a terrible thing that happened to people and then kind of partway through the season, they twist it and then they do something that's focusing on the actors that were playing those characters in the recreation. Mm. And then they kind of bring in like um, urban explorers who are then going to the murder house. So it was really kind of like looping in a lot of like that meta meta, like we're going to step back a frame and then we're going to step back a further frame. And it was it didn't entirely stick the landing for me, but it was interesting and I appreciated that they tried something different and were kind of looking at that whole like, you know, true crime or true horror story genre and kind of commenting hmm. on, you know, actors and reality and sort of where that line is. Um, right. So it was it was interesting. Not my favorite season, but it was interesting. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. So I, it's- Go ahead, sorry.
2: i, I I was just going to say it reminds me of, um, is it New Nightmare, the the Freddy Krueger one, where it's it becomes like a whole thing where they're trying to get the cast back together <laughs> to do a new uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and then it starts happening for real. It's sort of like the opposite of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely see the similarities there. And yeah. I mean, those stories can be, you know, really interesting when done right. And sometimes really interesting, even when they don't quite land. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, Pete, you were going to say oh. something. Well, I, I just, uh, I, want, I wanted to sort of talk in general uh, about your stories, Allison, if that's all right. I've I've, I've read, gosh, uh, a few things now. Like I've read uh, Catfish Lullaby, To Sail the Black, How the Trick is Done, and Teeth Long as Sharp as Blades. So, uh, not not bad for a first encounter, but I, I'm still sort of uh, feeling out like your your writing style and what you're trying to do and that sort of thing. One of the things that I'm really picking up is that in these stories, there is an underlying. Uh, I'm not a writer. I'm going to say this wrong, but it, there's like a set of rules, a set of, like world laws of things that are going on that are different for each story. And I'm wondering, I guess it's a chicken or egg question. Like, do you get the world in your head and how the pieces fit together? Or do you have the story in your head? And do you build the world around that?
0: I feel like it's actually different for every story. I mean, sometimes if I'm really lucky, everything will just kind of fall into place all at once. Um, And that was sort of the case with teeth long and sharp as blades. I just sort of got lucky and the whole thing kind of came together as as one piece. Um, with To Sail the Black, I feel like I sort of had a general idea of the type of world, and then kind of the characters emerged. And then I sort of went through more in the editing phase and kind of tried to establish the rules of the world and, you know, why everything was happening and and what made the whole thing kind of tick, I guess, as it were. Um, and I've heard other authors say that too, that, you know, It's sort of a different approach with every story or, you know, every novel is like writing your first novel because you're discovering the process for telling that particular story fresh every time, Um, which may be a good thing or maybe a bad thing or maybe a neutral thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, to Sail the Black, I absolutely loved it. One of the nice things about doing this podcast is I've sort of got authors trapped so I can compliment them and they can't run away. But uh, (laughs) I, that was an absolutely unique ghost ship narrative. Like I've seen, I've seen science fiction versions. Like I, I think there's even a. Uh, uh, Night Flyers, they made a series out of one of George R. R. Martin's short stories that was also a ghost world narrative, but I've never seen one like this where um, the how do i put it it's 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 not it's not straight hate straight horror it's almost it's almost like a, a a mystery or a coming of age and i i really love that i love it when an author like starts leading me down a path and just pushes me off the side and you absolutely did
0: <laughs> thank you uh, i definitely was sort of going for a more almost space opera y feel with that one but with ghosts and you know, I've included a few horror elements just cause I usually can't help myself, <laughs> but I was definitely not going for like a full on horror um, with that one. I wanted it to be sort of like a little bit of a mystery, but not, you know, like super mysterious mystery. Cause I don't know that, you know, I could actually pull that off and, You know, be one of those authors who's like, ha, 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 I am smart enough to plot all this thing out and lay the clues and, you know, make it so that the readers can kind of figure out what's going on. Um, But I kind of wanted to play with those elements, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely.
2: I mean, I I do want to mention because this is pretty hilarious because basically I think it was like the day before. I want to say it was the day before this actually, uh, The Sail of the Black came out uh, on in Clark's World. Uh, I was actually on Twitter asking, you know, are there any, like, being that space opera borrows heavily from age of sail narratives, why don't we see more ghost stories, like ghost ship stories in space opera? And voila.
0: <laughs> Glad I could accidentally help.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. I, I love it.
0: <laughs> and that was, you know, really maybe not the like the only thing that I've written during the pandemic, but definitely I think the one of the few stories that I sort of like, I don't know, felt sort of like joyous and positive about just from the beginning. I'm like, I want to just try something different, and I kind of sat down and wrote it, and uh, happily you know, Clark's World took it and published it. So it was kind of a nice, like, I was sort of feeling in a slump, I guess, at the time um, that I wrote it and feeling like, oh, I'm never gonna, you know, sell another story again. And nothing that I'm writing lately is working for me. And I just feel like blah about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of helped, you know, shake me out of that, I guess, which was, (laughs) which was nice.
1: Well, it certainly (laughs) connected with me. Um, Can can we talk about that? I mean, it's in the in these interviews, we always tend to sort of like tiptoe around the pandemic or just sort of shake our heads and sigh. And I kind of want to like go into it a little bit in that um, I know that there are all sorts of logistical problems for writers that are generated by the pandemic is is what people are scared of. Is that at all different in this time?
0: Um, I mean, Probably, or, you know, maybe it just sort of brings home certain things more. Um, I feel like there's so much that we don't really understand about the virus yet. And, um, you know, maybe just sort of like brings home that, that, you know, all the sort of apocalyptic narratives that we've been reading and thought we were preparing for were sort of off base and it could be something much sort of slower and much more drawn out and, um, you know, deadly but then also in some ways just much dumber like who would have ever thought that there would be such a huge fight over like just wear a mask it's not that complicated or just stay home we're not asking you to fight off a horde of zombies we're literally asking you to stay in your house and you can't do that
1: (laughs) yeah until (laughs) now it never occurred to me that the apocalypse could be stupid
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess we should have known, but, you know, <laughs> I feel like movies and, and apocalyptic fiction, you know, have prepared us all for something very, very different than, you know, well, that, the I think that, reality.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think that the issue is that the movies, uh, generally the movies and a lot of the, the books concentrate on the people who are operators and movers and shakers, not on the schlubs, So (laughs) you don't get the schlub's eye view of the world where, you know, you're just sort of annoyed that you can't go to your restaurant and why can't I go to Thanksgiving again? I don't know anyone that's gotten this, so let's go to Thanksgiving.
0: It will be interesting to see, you know, what sort of fiction, like- As I think we were saying, talking about before, sort of the long tail of publishing, you know, what kind of comes out of this maybe two, three, four, five or more years down the road of, you know, whether those narratives will shift and whether we'll kind of get more like, you know, this was what day to day life was like type narratives, but maybe with a twist or slightly fictionalized in some way, shape or form.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, I've I've honestly heard um, some people talk about how they don't want to include anything uh, regarding covid or the pandemic or anything that's happening right now into their stories. And, you know, I understand the sentiment, but I also I also grapple with the idea that, you know, like this may be the new normal for a for a while. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, if you heard me, I was saying chewy sit, sit, sit over and over. Sorry. Oh, my mistake.
2: <laughs> All right. We'll 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 have Adam edit that one out. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, I think that the issue here, the thing that I sort of struggle with is that I, I do actually have a story that I've just been sort of, it's been on the back burner and... I and I'm not even doing anything specifically uh explicit about it just like oh there you know you have to wait in line to get into the bodega and you know she you know the, the main character sees people wearing masks that's about it but you know like I also have to wonder like are are we just going to try to sweep this under the rug cuz as I understand it somebody that I know was mentioning that um like the same thing happened during the uh the 1918 flu and oh, yes. and there was a huge gap where there's nothing in the entertainment that covers it so you don't really have any sort of not even documented of documentation in the culture
0: yeah which is kind of weird like you know you'd think that's part of the role of narratives and media or of whatever form to kind of capture what things were like at a certain time um, I know I've I feel like I've heard sort of both schools of thought of like well you don't want to you know be too specific or have too many you know cultural references that anchor your work in a specific time because then how will your work be timeless but you know then nobody would write about say great World War II narratives like it, right. you know you can't completely avoid history nothing happens in a vacuum so
2: right well and I I also feel like it's sort of that that idea sort of tries to sidestep the reality that, you know, any, any, even speculative fiction is written about the now, you know, what's happening now. Exactly. And you're just projecting it forward or you're, you're, you're sort of bringing, you can only make it timeless to a certain degree because you're worried, like your initial obsession or the question that you're asking you know, hopefully, you know maybe twenty, thirty years from now, and we're still all around and stuff like that. um, you know the the questions will be different. They won't be like, "Oh, can we get a vaccine during the pandemic?" And it's like, "Oh, look at these dummies. They didn't have universal health care.
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: hopefully that's that's the type of thing we get. But, you know, I don't i I'll, I may be long gone by then, so it doesn't really <laughs> matter to me whether my work is
1: timeless. Well, I have a dumb theory, shocking. I know. But uh, (laughs) when uh, the yellow fever in the 1700s, um, there's a lot of documentation about that and what people did. And a big part of that is it had a hero narrative to it in that if you survived yellow fever, you became an important part of the community because you were immune and you could deliver food and you Mm -hmm. could fit into some sort of heroic narrative that made sense to people. And the pandemic, uh, the the Spanish flu, uh, was a bunch of people dying sandwiched in between a bunch of people dying for a bunch of other reasons. Like it just seemed. I I, I mean, the, like the message people could take away from it is we're boned, and people don't like that message. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was oh. like maybe a little too bleak for people to want to latch on to that as a as a story to carry forward into the future. <laughs> well, we're well, gonna I mean, die. <laughs> well, I mean
2: the The counter narrative is is very sort of i mean it's it's no less bleak because we get the roaring twenties and the roaring twenties only is is only roaring for the very wealthy and powerful so <laughs> you know i I don't know what to say about that
0: <laughs> yeah I guess part of that also comes to you know who's telling the story who's recording the history, and that ends up sort of being what you get and the 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 way people think of certain you know time periods or. Yeah. whatever <laughs>
2: yeah well no we've uh, now that we've managed to bring everyone down
0: <laughs> yeah, i feel like we kind of went on a little bummer tangent there
2: <laughs> pete pete that's usually my job okay
0: yes. <laughs> sorry man
1: okay well let's let let's go a different place here um your your stories they're all uh, well i i can't say they're all because i don't have a broad enough sample but from what i've seen um you, you make very different writing choices. Like often when we have an author here, after I've read one of their novels and a couple of short stories, I feel like I've got a fingerprint, and I can be like, "This is this is Tamra's work, and I know it." And I, I mean, with the exception of your interest in, in horror, uh, I feel like that's harder to do with you. I mean, can you can you talk a little bit about, uh, oh, God, this really sounds stupid. But like, what are you trying to do?
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, at the end of the day, probably tell stories that entertain myself. Um, So, yeah, for whatever that's worth, (laughs) I don't know if I necessarily go in with sort of a a grand plan or a grand, grand message for anything,
1: well, it um, means you're unlikely to write the next Dianetics, and for that, I'm grateful. So.
0: <laughs> exactly. I'm not trying to start any, you know, cults or any uh, weird religions or anything like that. But <laughs> I do sort of like the idea of, you know, exploring different genres, different ideas, maybe trying to be a little hard to pin down in terms of style or, you know, what you can expect from my writing. I think there are certain themes that probably recur. And like you said, I do sort of tend towards horror a lot of the time, just because again, that's sort of what I like to read and what I like to consume in terms of media. But um, it'll often be just sort of like what strikes me and then just sort of run with that uh, without necessarily a a hugely planned out plan in mind.
1: (laughs) Are are there... Oh, go ahead, man.
2: No, that just brings... That just makes me ask then... Uh, do you, do you just do exploratory writing until you hit a certain point and then decide to go back and outline or does it all, is it all uh, outlined out or how do you, how do you approach your, your writing?
0: Um, for the most part, I tend to be very much a pantser. I don't tend to do much outlining, um, especially with short stories Mm -hmm. now that I'm kind of venturing more into, to longer territory with the novella and novels. I will to a certain degree, kind of leave points for myself, but it's almost sort of like, you know, as I'm writing, I'll sort of leave myself notes of like, oh, be sure to include this, or these are the things that should happen, you know, in the next section. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't tend to outline in advance and then sort of follow that plan through. It's sort of, yeah, start the process and then kind of figure it out as as I'm going along.
2: Gotcha. I'm sorry, Pete, I stepped on your question there.
0: Oh, um uh,
1: well, <clears throat> I I mean in some ways it's boilerplate, but I assure you I'm genuinely interested. Um are there are there authors that you regard as uh uh formative for you? That sort of either set you on the, your path or that you react to in your own writing that are somehow significant for what you're doing?
0: I think one of the ones that sort of imprinted on me very much at that like right impressionable age was Ray Bradbury. And I feel like there are probably elements of, you know, maybe his his voice or his themes or his his style of description that still kind of crop up in my writing every now and then. Um and I think, you know, a lot of that's just like, you know, what you imprint on at various ages in your life. And I guess I probably discovered his work when I was around 12 or 13 and just that that was, you know, that sort of like, I guess maybe rekindled my love of fantasy and science fiction. Not that I ever really, really wandered away from it, but kind of, I think when I sort of discovered his work, it was initially through something that had been assigned to me in in um, one of my classes in high school. And it kind of made me realize like, oh, people actually could take this stuff seriously. Like this is stuff that we're being asked to study. So it's more than just like, hey, this is the fun stuff I like to read on my own and kind of got me thinking, well, maybe I could actually, you know, do something with this in the future in terms of what I like to write. Um, so that's definitely you know, usually my sort of go-to example of, of influence that, probably still continues to influence me in in a certain way today.
1: Well, it's it's a good one. He certainly, well, you don't need me to tell you that, but he certainly (laughs) constructs a good short story.
0: Yeah, and very prolific too, which is another, you know, sort of good thing to aim for, I guess.
2: (laughs) That's the part I fall down at.
0: (laughs) Oh, well. And the important thing is just, you know, writing and finishing anything. Doesn't matter how many you do. Yeah. Matter that you did something that you got some words down
2: <laughs> yeah i mean that that's absolutely certain um but yeah so uh i i do i did want to say that uh, that actually makes a lot of sense given sort of like the the I I guess the weird sense of wonderment and menace that Ray Bradbury manages to infuse in a lot of his stories. uh, I I can see that. I can definitely see that.
0: Yeah. And I guess even just sort of his, to a certain degree, genre hopping. I mean, he's definitely more probably on the science fantasy side of science fiction than the hard science most of the time. But you know, he does have those sort of, you know, science fictional-esque things along with the horror, along with the fantasy, and mm-hmm. even to some, you know, sort of just, I guess that you might consider straight up literature. Um, so, I kind of like that as a model of not being sort of bound by one subgenre or, you know, one particular type of thing, but that sort of, sort of hopping all over the place and making that work.
2: Right. Well, I mean, I think that that's going back to the, the sort of timelessness aspect. I think those fantastical flourishes that he uses, even in stuff that is, you know, very science fictional, uh, like Fahrenheit 451, you know, like the, the, the sort of he approaches it with this sort of idea that there's an overarching narrative like fantasy. And these small little flourishes throughout that make it feel evergreen to me, at least. And uh, it's it's a it's a great trick if you can pull it off. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and I think there's just sort of that genuine sense of wonder and sort of the ability to find magic and you know sort of common things that infuses a lot of his stories. And just you know, you kind of kind of see the joy in his writing that he was genuinely passionate about it and excited about things. And, you know, that came through on the page. And I think that's another reason why so much of his stuff endured that it's not, you know, a matter of somebody sitting down and banging out words, hoping to get paid, but, you know, that he was just sort of genuinely passionately, you know, in love with writing and telling stories.
1: Hmm. Yeah. When, when, uh, when Carlo or guests talk with me about this, I'm always sort of fascinated because my uh my link to all of this is i'm a super fan you know i'm the guy with the bookshelf i have no writing ability or even interest but uh it uh i don't know it's almost like magic it's like you you start with nothing and you build it up with out of what's in your head and i know i'm not covering any fantastic new ground here but it's just—it's endlessly fascinating to me listening to authors talk about how they construct things and where the ideas flow from. Because on some level, it just feels fundamentally unreachable.
0: I mean, even being a person who writes, it still looks like a magic trick to me sometimes when I read other people's work. Like, how did they do that? But how did they make that? But what the how? How? I want <laughs> yes. to do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well. To be fair, and this is going to sound like really sort of silly and dumb. And he's like, Carlo, come on, man. Um, I don't know about you, Allison, but have you ever been surprised by an ending? Like maybe not, maybe that's not the, the correct phrase, but where you're sort of chugging along, you get to a certain flow state, and suddenly an ending opens up, and you actually, it actually affects you. As you're writing it,
0: that has definitely happened occasionally. The story will sort of go in a direction I didn't necessarily expect it, or, um, you know, I'll have sort of one thing in mind that I think is going to work for the story. And then during that process, kind of discover, oh, no, it actually needs to be told this way. And it's, you know, it's much, much better. Or, of course, this is what happens. I can't believe I didn't see that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So that definitely happens. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it takes, you know, uh, another set of eyes on a piece, or an editor, or you know, a critique buddy, or something, to be like, um, "No, I don't know what you think you're doing here, but that is not correct. Go back and do it again." <laughs> and it leads to something that ends up being much better and much stronger because you get too inside your head and you're too, you know, determined to hold on to the direction you thought you were going rather than seeing what the story actually needs.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, th- that's the the difference between in your head and on the page, folks. You're yeah, getting some, you're getting some uh, some writing pointers for anyone who's uh, who's interested. <laughs> so let me ask you this, because um, I- I'm gonna guess that uh, you read rather widely. Are there any uh, are there any authors or any people that you immediately say, you know what, I'm gonna set everything aside today because this person's book came out today, and I want I want to sit down and read it.
0: <laughs> there, there are quite a few. Um, Sylvia Moreno Garcia is one of my go to. Oh,
1: you know, she's so great!
0: Buy everything that she writes, and mm-hmm. you know, drop everything to read it. Um, e. Catherine Tobler is another one. Uh, Rebecca Roanhorse is, you know, rapidly becoming that. I just finished her book, Black Sun, um, which is very different from her sixth world series. And it's really kind of fun to see her play in that epic fantasy space and, mm-hmm. um, you know, do something very different than I thought that I would have expected from her as an author, just based on what I'd read from her uh, in the past. Um, right. N.K. Jemison is, you know, another one that would be sort of a drop everything and read this now. Um, Paul Tremblay is on that list. Um, so yeah, quite a few.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have we have a couple of Paul Paul Trim, the, uh, the f- super fans and <laughs> listening in. So yeah, definitely be, comes be happy.
0: Up. <laughs> yeah, I just read his Survivor song, which is definitely an interesting one to read during an actual pandemic, being that it is a plague narrative. And he did surprisingly get a lot of the stupid right, actually, of like people just being kind of willfully dumb and making things worse. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Awesome. I, I guess I'll have, to, you know, I haven't, I, I, I have Paul Tremblay on like my list of to be read, but I just have not picked up anything just yet. I I definitely have to pick that one up then.
0: Yeah. I mean, I very much enjoyed it, but I know it's also a sort of your, your mileage may vary depending on your mindset of reading that type of narrative in the midst of our current, you know, situation. So <laughs> I guess you put that out there as a caveat, depending on, on, you know, how you feel about pandemics and virus narratives kind of converging.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Content warning. Real life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh.
0: May feel too real. (laughs) So um, let's say
1: that we have an audience that wants to read more of your work. Uh, Do you have any suggestions as to where they could go? That sounds like I'm, setting up a straight line there but you know what i mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> i mean um right now probably the easiest place just to find a list of everything i've done is my website which is acy's.net um i mean one thing that i'm hoping will be a sort of a good representative rep, wow i can't say words properly <laughs> representative sample um is the collection that i have coming out next year called the ghost sequences um, which is coming out from Undertow Press in August. And that's really going to be collecting a lot of my more horror slash ghost focused um, stories. And I think that'll be kind of sort of a nice, you know, introduction to the kinds of things that I like to write and, but more themed than um, my past collections have been. So I guess that's not really fair to say about Glitter Squadron since that sort of like linked world know somewhere between a collection and a novel um but i do have sort of one other collection uh the kissing booth girl and other stories which is much more of a eclectic sampler so if you want to sort of get an idea of the the genre jumping part of it and um that would be a place to go but or you know just check out all three (laughs)
1: Yeah, buy good,
0: them you know, all. Buy them all. Just buy everything.
2: <laughs> and, and, and let's not forget that you have the uh, the novella through Broken Eye Books of uh, Catfish Lullaby too.
0: Yeah, my my first foray into something slightly longer. Um, so I do hope that people check that out as well. Swamp magic and sort of cosmic horror meets Southern Gothic, if that's your kind of thing. And if you want, you know, just sort of one piece that's a little bit longer as opposed to most of the rest of what I have out currently is short fiction. So,
2: Just in case you like a deep-fried tentacle.
0: And who doesn't, right? Yes,
2: <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining like a, a Cthulhu po boy.
0: Oh, I,
1: I was totally going gumbo, because you never know what's in there.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's all sort of seafoody bits. Who knows? <laughs> Some oh, may cool. just taste a little more eldritch than others. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
1: The okra out of space.
0: <laughs> oh no! I feel like you could do like a whole anthology around that of like, you know, cosmic horror and cooking, or you know, yeah, something yeah. like that.
1: I would buy that absolutely. <laughs> um,
0: was it Molly Panzer? I mean, some somebody had. I feel like a story that kind of mashed those up. The girl thing that went out for sushi. Oh, nice! <laughs> but I'm blanking That's on cool. who actually. Wrote it, but I feel like there was a little bit of this sort of like, yeah, cosmic horror, but but cooking in there. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, and and uh, you also like you've you've done some work with um with Broken Eye uh, as well. Uh, what was the the is it Future Cthulhu?
0: Yeah, uh, the- Future Lovecraft. Yeah,
2: Future Lovecraft. That's yeah, it. I had
0: a story in that, and then um, I think that's I think that's the only other thing that I've published with Broken Eye. Other than the novella. Um, Yeah. Okay. By the way. They put together uh, wonderful anthologies in general. Um, And again, a lot of cosmic horror stuff and Lovecraftian stuff for, for folks who are into sort of weird fiction and that type of thing. They're, they do a really nice job with um, everything they publish. So I just highly recommend checking them out in general as a, a source for new things to read. mm
1: -hmm. Pete, you were going to say something. Oh yeah. The girl thing who went out for sushi was Pat Cadigan.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think it was... Yeah, I was crossing it up with something else in my head that was, I think, in an anthology together. Anyways. (laughs) But it is a good story, so I recommend reading it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I just came up with the perfect uh, title for an anthology, but it's about bars and Cthulhu. Just call it The Last Call of Cthulhu. Nice.
0: Nice. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) I would 100% read that. Right? (laughs) I'm actually amazed (laughs) nobody has done that. It just seems... Perfect. <laughs>
1: you know, i I just moved out uh, of Las Vegas within the past year, uh, after after a long residence, and there are a number of locals who don't understand what law, Last Call is.
0: <laughs> I mean, everything's <laughs> just open twenty four hours there, right? right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you wake <laughs> up at three in the morning and you want, well, I don't know, Bulgarian turnovers, somebody has them.
0: why would you ever go home? Why why, why would things be closed? I don't understand that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The eternal now.
0: Yes. (laughs) Las Vegas is such a a weird city, but I love it.
1: (laughs) Oh, I do too. You know, I was going to ask you about this. The, the, um, I know the name. Give me a second. How the trick is done. Thank goodness. I thought my brain was <laughs> melting. Uh, definitely had a, a a Vegas connection. So uh, I mean, do you visit there a lot? What's your relationship to the city?
0: Um, I've actually only been there twice, but I'm just fascinated with the city. I mean, it's such a, I haven't spent as much time outside of like the city and the strip areas I want. Um, but I just sort of love that whole like kind of completely constructed thing that doesn't make sense, kind of similar to the way like Disneyland or Disney World, whichever one is in Florida, is just kind of like plunked down in the middle of a swamp that is just like <laughs> ridiculous, disgusting land, but that they've sort of like built up this whole false environment about it that, you know, draws hundreds of thousands of people every year and vegas is kind of like the we're going to make this oasis in the middle of the desert and everything is going to be open all the time and the lights will be bright and flashing and everything is going to be like this very kind of created false experience um that just shouldn't make sense but it it just works and then there's this kind of like dark side to the city as well and like the whole history of like the gangsters there and it's just such a, a fascinating city and i want to spend more time there
1: <laughs> well and it's fundamentally a parasite i mean i like it's it's a wonderful place to live if you're if your bad habits are under control but i mean it's it, it's it's there to bilk you and yeah. <laughs> it produces pain on an industrial scale my my wife calls the strip a raw, a raw wound full of money
0: yeah. that's a really good description <laughs> Yeah, I feel like everything about it is sort of designed to take money away from you and to sort of make you lose sense of time and reality and rational thought.
1: Well, you know, if you leave the Strip or downtown, it's like Scottsdale, Arizona. It's very strange. Like suddenly you're just in like row upon row of identical houses.
0: (laughs) It is a very interesting area. Again, I definitely want to spend more time there and sort of explore more of the outskirts and... Um. Yeah, it's just it's interesting to me.
1: <laughs> well that 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 was my uh, official uncalled for digression of the show. Thank you guys for bearing with me on that one. <laughs> I like All right,
2: Pete. <laughs> I, I punched. I punched your card. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ooh, ooh. Actually, there is one more thing I want to say because I've been wanting to tell writers about this because. It It's it seems perfect for a horror novel or short story, which do you do you know about the tunnels?
0: The tunnels under Las Vegas? Yes. Yes. I've heard a little bit about them. I don't know, you know, a super detailed amount, but
1: it's it's the place you go if you're homeless. I mean, it is um, it's 30 degrees cooler down there. And, you know, it, it's, the tunnels run completely under the city. Like you can go from one side of the city from the other to without ever coming up. And like the only, well, the only, the most disturbing part of it is that if it, if we even get a light rain, they fill up with water in the space of like 20 minutes.
0: Wow. Yeah. That yeah. does seem right for, uh, for some sort of horror narrative. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, uh, I just, I, the, just the injustice of the thing. Like it, anytime it's raining and I walk by the strip, I get so mad because like, you know <laughs> you you see these huge towers and you know that people are like desperately fleeing for their lives beneath them. Yeah. Okay, I'm 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 sorry. I double punched my card, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> no digressions next episode you. Okay, you got
0: it. <laughs> that digressions lead to the most interesting conversations
2: no no that, i'm i'm obviously <laughs> joking because we this is all but <laughs> there's a couple of questions and many digressions uh scattered throughout so that's that's an episode of uh, podside picnic for you
1: yeah pretty much in a nutshell <laughs>
0: I feel like that would be like a good t- tagline.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Several digre- digressions and a couple of que- questions that are answered. There we go.
1: Well, you know, after after two years of practice, we've evolved to the point where we're just talking to people. Like there was a mission at one point, but now we're talking to people about books, and it's so much better.
0: I mean, that's the kind of thing that I like to listen to in a podcast when people just sort of you know have a conversation or get off topic, and then you get you know interesting stories about stuff. So that's the right way to do it as far as I'm concerned. <laughs>
1: I think well I mean yeah you boy are you in the right place then. That's, that's...
2: <laughs> I I just wanted to point out that uh to, just to take a, another step meta, tech, meta meta out uh that we are currently talking about the podcast that's happening right now <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> and how <laughs> it seems to tie back to, uh, your, your meta narratives, uh, Allison.
0: Alison <laughs> coming from inside the podcast. Woo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the calls are coming from inside the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, in any case, uh, did, did you want to share anything else? Uh, do you have, uh, pre-orders for your, uh, upcoming collection yet or anything? yes
0: okay. not yet um i'm hoping soon there will actually be a cover reveal for the novel that's coming out oh. um, followed soon by by pre-order links Excellent. Um, and i'm hoping similar for for the collection i've seen what the the cover is going to look like for both um but they're both sort of under wraps for now but i'm hoping that you know I will get to reveal both of those soon, or at least point people to where they are being revealed.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: Well, uh, Alice, sounds
1: great. Please, please let us know when when we're getting close to pre order or publishing time, because I mean, you'd certainly be welcome back if that if that's part of a good strategy for you.
0: Oh, this thank has been you. Great. Yeah, I would love to come back. I mean, I'm just happy to you know hang out and chat with you guys. <laughs> Excellent,
2: and of course, we'll also you know if if you do uh, you know if you tweet about it, we'll definitely boost it and so on. We'll, we'll, tr- we'll do what we can. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. So I guess, I mean, I, I don't think I have
1: anything else I, on my end of things. I used up my Clever in the first two minutes I've been coasting,
0: so. Whoops.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's up to our guest to fill in the Clever gap.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Well, you've got the wrong person then. <laughs> it's all right.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, in that case, uh, I did want to thank you for coming on, Allison. Thanks again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and of course we'll, we'll be in touch, uh, whenever you are, you have, a, a you know, the, the, the dates a little bit more solidified, uh, we'll be happy to have you back on.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, I would love to do it again sometime and hopefully, you know, one day possibly far in the future, we'll all actually be able to be in person together again at a convention or, or something. Oh, <laughs> I
1: love that idea.
0: It just seems so distant right now, but I know it'll happen one day.
2: <laughs> Th- that is a speculative fiction right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, uh, thanks again. And um, if that's it, uh, see you next time, guys.
1: Bye, everybody.
0: Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>